Today on episode number 678, it's everything I know about being an interviewer as well as being an interviewee. It's a mega episode. Hit it, ladies. The School of Podcasting with Dave Jackson. Podcasting since 2005. I am your award-winning Hall of Fame podcast coach, Dave Jackson, thanking you so much for tuning in. This is where I help you massage your message. I help you tackle the technology, face your fears, and flatten the learning curve, and not just get your podcasting, but get your podcasting in the right direction. My website is schoolofpodcasting.com. Use the coupon code LISTENER, that's L-I-S-T-E-N-E-R, when you sign up on either a monthly or yearly subscription. And don't forget, there is a 30-day money-back guarantee. If you start up and go, ah, this is what I thought it was, I will easily give you your money back. And today, it is a mega episode. That means I'm doing one topic, and it's a long one. But if you are a person that's doing interviews, you're going to love everything in this because it's going to help you do better interviews. If you've ever been in the situation where you get done, you're like, ugh, what am I going to do with this? The whole goal of this episode is so that you are never, ever in that type of situation again. Now, before we get to that, I want to tell you about Podcast Engineering School. It starts September 10th and runs through October 22nd. It is run by Chris Curran. This is a guy who worked for years in the music business. He worked on albums or projects by Foreigner, Sarah McLaughlin, MC Hammer, Itzhak Perlman. For you guitar players, Nuno Betancourt, uh, Jeff Buckley, Ice Cube, Naughty by Nature. And now he's bringing his talents to podcasting. You can basically learn to engineer and produce podcasts at a professional level. And again, it starts September 10th, 2019. You'll get a live interactive online training with Chris and your other students, as well as two one-on-one sessions with Chris. You get major, and I mean major discounts on software and plugins. You get lifetime access to the Podcast Engineering School closed community, and you get a certificate of completion. So if you want to start a side hustle, making money as a podcast editor, this is the place to learn how. You can check out all the teaching and topics at podcastengineeringschool.com. And right now, there's a super early bird special. They're available. Check it out again, podcastengineeringschool.com. All right, I've talked about this in the past. This is going to be mega episode. That's right. This is going to be an episode where I'm going to try to share everything I've ever learned from either doing interviews. I mean, I'm almost up to 700 episodes, and I would say a good hundred of those are probably interviews. And also, I've been interviewed. Have you ever heard of podchaser.com? I was playing with that a couple days ago. I've been interviewed like 120 times. That's kind of cool. And I think you might be underestimating the power of your podcast and in some cases, maybe lowering your standards. I see some people in Facebook groups where their kind of criteria for a guest is a pulse, as in like, if you're breathing, you can come on my show. And being content creators, we should strive to be the kind of hosts podcasters rave about. So when somebody go, oh, man, you got to go on this guy's show. It was great. But also then we want to be the guest that everyone wants on their show. So we're going to kind of talk about both sides of the fence. And I want to start off 
with this. You need to accept responsibility for your content. So if you find yourself in a situation where in interview, you're like, oh man, I don't even want to publish this. I, I, you know, we've been there and it's easy to go. I don't know the guest lost their mind or I don't know, just blah, blah, blah. But unless they went completely bonkers, and no offense to anyone who's bonkers, it was you. It's you who let them on your show. It was you who probably didn't do enough research, or you didn't read their blog, or you didn't listen to their podcast. And I always use the analogy of hockey, or maybe for my friends across the pond, football, soccer. And uh, you are the goalie. And your audience is the net. And anybody who tries to get to your audience without a bag full of value, you need to smack them away and fight for your audience the way a mama bear fights for her cubs. Like, not, no, not in my, not on my time, not on my dime. No, you're not in my house. I think sometimes we need to look back when we have an interview that didn't go the way we want. And instead of blaming the guest go, okay, what could I have done to avoid being in this situation where I'm calling them back saying that didn't work or something of that nature? I think it starts with us, you, me, we got to go, uh, yeah, that one's on me. And, and because there are things that we can do to avoid that. So that's number one. If you have a bad interview, you need to accept responsibility. And we're going to be talking about how you can avoid ever being in that situation again. And it really, it starts like everything in podcasting. I mean, everything in podcasting starts with this. And no, it's not the microphone. It starts with knowing your audience. If you don't know what your audience wants, if you don't know what they need, how in the world are you going to give it to them? So how do you do this? You go where they are and you listen to them. So this could be Facebook groups. It could be meetups. It could be events. It could be listening to their podcasts, other podcasts about your subject. It could be reading books about your subject. It's, you know, magazines, anything about your industry, and then consuming everything and anything about your subject. That's how you know your audience and I remember when I first started out and I would meet people at events and I would say, what do you like about the show? What do you dislike about the show? I do that now. That's the question of the month. But when you first start out and somebody sends you an email, you have the time now, hopefully, to reach out to them and go, hey, would you want to get on Skype? Because I would just like to get to know a little bit about you. Start building those relationships because the more you know about your audience the more you can use that and go, oh, you know what? So-and-so wouldn't like that, so I'm not going to do it. So think about that. It all starts with you accepting responsibility for your content, and it starts with step one, knowing your audience. And another thing, we have to stop being blinded by big resumes. I had someone contact me like out of nowhere, his name, and I will call him Carlos because his name was uh, Carlos. And one day he wished me a happy birthday and then said, I would love to add value to your podcast champ one of these days. And I'm thinking champ, what? And then he follows that up with, 
How's life and business? Uh, what has been your biggest win on both in the last 12 months? Well, I ignored him because I don't know who Carlos is. And not that I found the word champ offensive, but champ? Really? Anyway, so fast forward four months. And again, on Messenger, out of nowhere, I get, hey, what's happening? And that was then followed by, I would love to add value to your podcast, brother, one of these days. And I've been doing lots of podcasts and interviews lately. This is again, Carlos, adding massive value to podcast CEOs. And I finally was like, all right, let's reply back. And I said, so what value are you bringing? And to what show? I have many, because again, I do like four different podcasts. And his reply was, I speak from mindset to business acceleration strategies by telling awesome stories. And I'm thinking, does does that fit my show? Uh, and I then replied back to him, look, I already have a business coach, but really, thanks for the offer. Uh, I'm up to, I'm off to lunch. Kind of my way of saying, okay, leave me alone. And his reply was, he sent a photo of him with famous people, including Tony Robbins and states, been on a few stages with heavy hitters out there. I'm offering to be interviewed at your podcast. That's his exact quote, not offering anything. So to me, this is the equivalent of look at me. I'm on a boat. I'm like, really? So to that, I reply, which podcast? This is my point. It appears you've done no homework. I'm not trying to be rude, but your resume doesn't mean much if you don't bring value to my audience. So again, this is me swatting this guy away. He's trying to get in my net and I'm like, "Uh uh-uh, I'm not letting you through to my audience. To that, he then replied, hey, Dave, Carlos here, which is odd because at the beginning it said it was Carlos and he says a thousand apologies here as I've hired three new assistants to keep up with new people and follow up with existing friends. Now, again, I don't, I don't know that I know this guy disregard the previous messages. And the reason for that, I'm pretty sure those previous messages were bots. And I've actually got a video. If you go out to the school of podcasting.com slash interviews, you can see, uh, this actual video of me and what this looked like. Now, an easy way to figure out if you should have somebody on your show, connecting the dots should be easy. Now, Derek Sivers is the guy that created CD baby. And he has a saying, he says, if it's not a, Oh yeah, except he says, H E double hockey stick. So I'm going to keep my clean rating If it's not a heck yeah, it's a no. So how do you find yourself interviewing somebody and asking yourself, what do I do with this interview? It's by interviewing people who are not a heck yeah. I was once contacted by somebody who, again, spotted a insanely large resume. He had TED Talks and he walked to school both ways uphill and cured cancer. I mean, the whole thing. He was uh, a coach a professional speaker. So this is actually kind of somebody I wanted to get to know because speakers are great podcasters, but my audience does occasionally use speaking to grow their audience. It's a great strategy. If you can get on stage, I was trying to figure out how much of my audience would benefit from this knowledge because it was kind of like, I'm a professional speaker coach, but I'm also this and I'm also that. And I was trying to figure out how, 
like how much my audience is going to benefit from this when I'm kind of going, eh, it kind of fits podcasting. And the longer I had to think about it, the more I realized this was not a heck yeah. And I got a follow-up email the next day. And again, I, it just didn't show that they'd done any homework. If they had said, Hey, I saw you talked about this topic on episode such and such. And I have a similar background. Have you ever thought about talking about this? If you connect the dots and I go, Oh yeah, that does fit. You're in it really just connect the dots. But I was kind of like, Hmm, does that really fit? I'm not really sure. And I've talked about the book, big podcast. David Hooper was on the show. Friend of mine, really good guy. And the great thing about the book, big podcast is not only is it a book, it's a weapon. That thing is huge. It should be called Big Podcast Book. But one of my favorite lines out of the book, and I'm only up to chapter 23. Again, it's a big book. But I love this. And I really think he he hit the nail on the head here. Again, so many of us are looking for people with a pulse. And he says, many podcasters approach guests thinking it's the guests who bring credibility to a podcast. If I could only get so-and-so on the podcast, then people would come on my show. And he says, no, that's not so. A podcast has its own credibility and the credibility, that credibility of your show is transferred to the guest, not the other way around. The guest doesn't bring you credibility. You have credibility. Now you say, wait a minute, how can I be credibility? I've only got four episodes out because you have four episodes out and there are about 30 people sitting there going, I'm going to get around to it someday. I don't know. I've had this microphone for five years. You did it. You are credible. I've said this in the past. It's not the size of the guest that brings the value. It's the size of the value that makes the guest on your podcast. And here's the other thing to keep in mind. We're going to talk about this in a minute. A lot of people that are, quote, big names don't have time to share your podcast. So you're chasing influencers. And these are people that are too busy to share the podcast they were just on. And so what I've done this year, because I've been approached by Carlos and other people And if it's not a heck yeah, and I'm like, "Mm, I don't want to, I don't want to bypass somebody who could be good. I'm just not sure they might be a good fit. So they're not a heck yeah. They're a, "Mm, I think so, but I'm not sure. And that again, are the people that you find out later, you're like, ah. And so when I send them my acuity scheduling link, we'll talk about tools later. I let them know up front that as you and I have never met, I reserve the right to not publish our interview. It is right there in plain English. It's like, look, I will talk to you, but if you don't bring value, I'm not giving it to my audience. Cause here's what it's going to do. Somebody that's like, mm, boy, if I don't bring value, this could be a waste of my time. Do you have a ton of time? I don't. And so it's kind of like a cover charge. If I go back to my days of being in a band, you knew if you charged a cover at the door, let's say it was five bucks, the people in there really, really wanted to come see your band because it wasn't free that night. And so by saying, I reserve the right to not publish our interview is saying, look, I reserve the right to waste your time, let alone also, by the way, you're wasting yours. Somebody might say, ooh, I'm not 100% sure I'm going to bring value. 
maybe they won't then say, yeah, let's do the interview. So you deliver value or you're not getting in front of my audience, period. You might even ask them what kind of equipment they have, or you could ask them for a link to previous interviews so you can hear their audio quality. And I know you might be saying, but Dave, I I hate telling everybody, no, I feel bad. I feel like an ogre. So here's how you win in that situation. Somebody contacts you. They're not a good fit. You don't want to tell them no, but you don't want to send them over to your audience. So what do you do? You find a better fit for them. That's right. You do their homework for them and say, hey, thank you so much. And again, always explain things on how they're going to benefit. I don't think your content is a good fit for my audience, and I don't want to waste your time. I know I've heard of this other podcast that seems to be much more aligned with your content. You might want to reach out to them. So here's what happens then. Hopefully you don't feel bad because you didn't say no. You're actually doing their homework and saying, here's a better option for them. And let's say they get an interview with that better fit. Well, now you have actually expanded your network because you're the nice person that pointed them in the right direction. And who knows, maybe in the future, that person may then say, wow, thanks for sending me the great guest. You've grown your network by two people. You never know. But that's a way of not saying no. You're saying, hmm, not a good fit, but here's a better fit. The bad news is it requires time because you end up doing their homework. And it's a tough road because there are a lot of people that just love to spray and pray with their email. But that's one way. Again, you are in control. And all you have to do if you're not sure is say, look, because we've just met, I reserve the right to not publish our interview. And we'll get into other things like setting expectations of the guests in just a bit. As we're talking about finding guests, and in the end, we want this guest to share our podcast. We'll talk about that. You might want to find a Facebook group about your topic, if you haven't started one yourself, and see who the administrator is, and then do your research on that person and approach that person because they have your target audience in a Facebook group. That may be somebody, when you think of a guest, may be somebody you want to look into. ways that we get into this, ugh, what do I do with this interview situation is because we need more guests and there are free resources or almost free, such as podcast, that's singular, guests, that's plural, podcastguest.com. There's awesomeguest.com and you can submit your story looking for guests. There's a great resource called Help a Reporter. It's at, you guessed it, helperreporter.com. So you can say, I'm looking for somebody who does such and such. So let's say I'm Scott Johnson from What Was That Like? It's a great podcast. He might say, I'm looking for somebody who's been struck by lightning or something like that because his show is about people that have these amazing stories. So he might go to helperreporter.com and somebody might see that and go, oh, I've been struck by lightning twice and reach out to Scott. You might reach out to booking agents and explain the type of guest you're looking for. Uh, Give these people a booking agent a super clear picture so you don't waste their time, so you don't waste your time. And this is kind of why I said you need to know your audience so you can paint them a clear picture if you're going to go the route of booking agents. I've never gone that route. 
I kind of get my guests by, again, being in my wherever my audience is. I just interviewed somebody. I read a really great article on Medium and went, wow, I want more information on that. I go to events. I hang out in Facebook groups. I'm all over the place, but I'm in my niche. And sometimes I'm like, ooh, that was really cool. I'd like to know more about that. So that's one place. Those are some places to find guests. Another place you can get information if you're trying, let's say you're doing a TV show podcast and you want to try and get the actors of the show, you can go into IMDB and upgrade to the pro account. Now, before you do that, start a document with everybody you want to contact and their contact information. Then what you do is you upgrade to the pro version for, let's say, a month and you go through and you get all their contact information. And what happens then if you can't get an actor? Then do what Troy Heinrichs did. He's been on this show. He does the Blacklist Exposed. And he started off, I believe, writing, uh, interviewing one of the writers of the show. And that eventually led to the actors hearing about the writer being on the show. And eventually they're like, well, how do I get on the show? And in his case, the guy that said, how do I get on the show was the creator of the show. So if you're looking for celebrity information, you might try upgrading to IMDb Pro. All right. How do you ask someone to come on your show? Well, the best time to catch anyone is when they have something to promote. Boy, this makes it like shooting fish in a barrel because they want exposure and Again, here you want to connect the dots. And we'll talk about this when we flip the script and talk about how do I become a guest to be on somebody's show. But in this case, we're talking about how do I get someone to come on my show? We're still talking, you're the host here. You got to connect the dots as to why their message fits your audience and how their message will help your audience. And the first guest sometimes is the hardest one to get. And if you can get kind of a quote, big name, Then you can use that in your pitch, such as, uh, hey, would you like to come on this show? I have 200 engaged listeners. Now, we'll talk about using numbers here in a second. But you could say, in the past, I've interviewed and then insert famous person's name. Because once you get that first person, they're like, well, hey, if so-and-so came on, it must be good. So the other thing you want to do is ask in confidence. Don't do things like, I'm just starting out and I don't have much of an audience. That's a horrible way to sell yourself because they don't know. You just say, hey, I do the whatever show and I've been doing this. And again, this is where if they ask for numbers, then say, I have 200 engaged listeners. No apologies. Don't say, hey, I'm sorry for this. I only have. No, never use the word only when talking about your audience. Don't do that. Just come across very confident because they don't know that it's just you next to the water heater. Keep that in mind. Now, let's talk about the law of reciprocity. Let's say you're trying to get an author on the show. Well, the best time to get an author on the show is when they're promoting their book. When did David Hooper come on the show? When he was promoting his book. Now, I know Dave, if I wanted him to come back, I'm pretty sure he would come back. But the point is, I have somebody coming up next month and they have a book out and they wanted to wait until their book was out to do the interview. So that's a great time to get somebody. Now, the other thing, if you really want to get somebody on the show is say, Hey, I read your book 
and it is so good, and it fits in directly with what I talk about on my website. All right, now you've got their attention because everybody likes to hear that their book was good, but then you do this. You say, click here to read the review I left you on Amazon. Now, here's the thing. It's getting harder and harder to leave reviews on Amazon. Now, it may not seem like it, but they're really cracking down on fake ones, and there's just some weird stuff going on at Amazon. And an Amazon review is like gold to an author. So take a screenshot. Why do you want to take a screenshot? Because when they go over to their book, they don't know which one was you. But if you send them a screenshot with an arrow saying, this is me, what does this do? Number one, it shows you purchased the book. Number two, your review is going to prove that you read it. So don't like, skim a couple sentences and and make up a no actually read the book and prove to them that you read the book and think of it we'll talk about this when we flip the script here but if you if they're a podcaster right we all want ratings in apple even though we could they don't really they don't really do anything but when you start by serving someone first your chances are better so again Bring out that law of reciprocity in your ask. Is there anything you can do for them that proves I know who you are? And this is why you will fit my audience. You want to connect the dots for them. Now, another way that you can avoid having interviews where you go, "Ugh, what am I going to do with this? You found someone who should They should fit like a glove, at least on paper. Now it's time to make sure they're going to work on a podcast. And I've spoken with people who do kind of science-based podcasts. And some scientists, while brilliant and intelligent, have the personality of a soggy piece of bread. And this is where the pre-interview can help. I talked about pre-interviews with Kent Covington back on episode 669. You can check that out, schoolofpodcasting.com slash 669. And what you want to do is you want to see if you and your guests click when you talk. What kind of personality do they have? Now, remember, the pre-interview isn't an interview. And make certain that they don't start giving you kind of like the real answer as you want to keep everything fresh for the recording. You don't want to have them, uh, you know, repeat themselves like, oh, well, like we said yesterday. No, you don't want to have an interview where you have to keep cutting that out. Well, as we said before we hit record... No, don't let them talk about it before you hit record. The pre-interview lets you know how tech savvy they are. If they can figure out, you know, whatever system you're using to record online interviews, and we'll talk about those in a bit. If they're going to have a problem with the technology, it's best to find this out now rather than, hey, you've got a half hour scheduled and you spent 20 minutes trying to figure out the tech. If they need to use Chrome, now is the time to let them know so that you don't burn up that time, because you're like, well, great, now I've got 10 minutes for the interview. That's not going to work. So this is where vetting your guests can really come in handy. Also, explain to the guest who your audience is and what they are looking for. Hey, my audience is looking for blank. And give them a super clear target of what's going on. And then ask them if they have any stories, right? Stories are the key here that your audience might find valuable. Take notes of what catches your ear. So you're like, ooh, that would be cool. And what topics make you think, hmm, I'd like to hear more about that. These, they don't need to be long, these little blurbs that they're giving you. And then towards the end, you should kind of roughly know 
how it's all going to fit in. You could say, okay, great. So what we could do is we could talk about topic A as well as topic B, which would then lead to topic C. And that way they kind of have a roadmap. They see why you brought them on. They see the topics you're going to cover and they see how it's going to fit your audience. Now, the other thing you need to do is do the work. Many of the great interviewers, uh, except Larry King, who just likes to go into an interview clueless, have research teams. If you listen to Howard Stern, if you listen to all these people, they've all got a research team. Now, in this case, you are the research team, and that means you need to read the book. You need to listen to previous interviews and read their about page and check out their social sites and come up with questions that your audience would ask if they were doing the interview. And you might say, Dave, that would take a whole lot of time. And I would say, "Uh uh-huh. So Jordan Harbinger, uh, Mark Marin, Howard Stern, all people that I listen to, and I often hear them ask something that might be, it kind of sounds like it's wrong. Or they'll say something like, oh, did that happen when you lived in Philly? And even if the guest says, no, that's when I was still in New York. Don't let that slip by. It shows the host that they already know your story. They're talking about when they were in New York. You know, let's say it's Howard Stern is talking about, is that the time when you were in Philly? The, the, the guest already knows. Oh, wow. Howard knows I moved from New York to Philly. We haven't gotten there yet, but they know the answers ahead of time. And it shows that the host, that would be you, you already know the story. You know the answers ahead of time. Here's an example of this. Dax Shepard interviewing Ira Glass on the Armchair Expert podcast. There were certain comedians I loved. I liked plays. Yeah, I was going to say you were in drama. I was in drama. I was a drama nerd. So right there, Dax saying, oh, that's right. You were in drama shows that he did his homework and he knows Ira's background. One of my favorite interviews and a generally really nice guy, really funny guy is Jordan Harbinger. If you haven't checked out the Jordan Harbinger show, it's actually a really good show. It's it's great just to listen to him interview people. And he interviews a lot of authors. And I know for a fact that he reads every book. That's amazing because he does a show three days a week. Now, Jordan does podcasting full time. But he reads every book. He does the work. And I've heard many guests remark with something like, wow, you've read the book. Now, why does the guest say, holy cow, you read the book? Because nobody else does this. It's amazing that people are being interviewed about a book. And yet so many people didn't actually read the book. So if you read a book before interviewing the author and nobody else does, you stand out. And so in this case, Jordan's downloads reflect the difference between a podcast and a good podcast because Jordan knows where he can take the story because he already knows the story. One of my favorite Jordan interviews is he interviewed Barry Katz, who's been the manager of every top, top comedian ever. And when you hear a guest saying something like this, you know, you've hit gold. And I was in an open mic night at the Charles Playhouse, a place called the Comedy Connection. God, I haven't talked about this in a long, long time. Which means it's not your typical Barry Katz interview. And that's the whole point. You don't want to do an interview like everybody else. But when I'm listening to Jordan's show, I hear things like, 
That's a really good question. And it's not the crappy, oh, that's a good question that you hear so many guests say because they're trying to figure out what to say while you know they're saying something out of their mouth while their brain figures out what to say. Those to me are all signs that Jordan has done the work. Another way you can get great stories is to be vulnerable in front of your guest because they will match your vulnerability. So if you want them to tell stories, then you can tell stories. And remember, I typically edit my stories out. I will tell a story to get them to tell a story and then edit out my story because the interview is about them. This is a great example of what I'm talking about. It's Howard Stern interviewing Stephen Colbert, who lost his father and two brothers in an airplane crash. And Howard asked him how his mom was dealing with that tragedy. So this is a great example of doing your homework and then being vulnerable with your guests. Is it difficult for you to be around a crying woman now because of your mother? Wow, that's deep, man. Well, seriously. Yeah, deep, Howard. You're getting deep. No, seriously, that's a very deep question, Howard. But when women are difficult, because your mom had to be difficult, she was going through a crisis. Not not difficult, but, you know, I think there's no doubt that I, I do what I do because... I wanted to make her happy. You're no used doubt. to cheering up a woman. Yes. Yeah. Yes. I know of this. Did you cry? <laughs> really? Were Did you, you cheer up? What? Were you able to cry? No, not publicly. Well, but, speaking well, hold of on. Pu- wait a second. Yeah, yeah. How do you know to ask that question? Because I spent many years cheering up your mother as well. I didn't want to tell you this. <laughs> no, no. What happened? You know, my mother lost her mother when she was nine. Mm. And my mother became very depressed when her sister died. And mm-hmm. I spent a lot of years trying to cheer up my mother. Mm-hmm. And I became quite proficient at making her laugh and doing impressions. And, and 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 doing impressions of all the people in the neighborhood, it made her feel. High. So I, I I wonder, and even to this day, when I see a woman in, in distress, I feel like I have to jump sure. in and solve her problem. That's not a that's not a bad impulse, though. Uh, well, it certainly makes for a career. Now you don't have to be an interviewing genius. You don't have to be like, oh, I'm just going to be the ultimate question person, interviewer, king of queen of whoever. No, you can make it a team effort. And I don't know why I didn't start doing this from day one, but by finding a potential guest and you know your audience is going to like this person, you don't have to rely on being this genius who asks the best questions to get the best story. If you ask them for their best stories, then you know what questions to ask. Now, don't go too far with this. I was once approached by someone that I didn't know to be a guest on their show. And for me, if you got a show, I'll be on it. I I have very low standards for being on somebody's show, but I have very high standards for you being on my show. And they wanted me, I'm not making this up, to write all the questions out. And I had no idea what the show was or what the audience wanted And while every interview is an opportunity, I kind of felt like I was doing all of the work on this one. And I was like, "Mm." so you can ask somebody, you know, hey, we're going to talk about this. We're going to talk about that. You know, you do your pre-interview. You might say, is there anything else that you feel would would resonate with my audience because you've given them a clear picture? And they might go, oh, well, there was this time when I did such and such. You could go, ooh, that's a great story. Let's talk about that. So you don't have to be this genius interviewer. You can make it a little a little bit of a team effort. Again, don't just say, hey, tell me what you want to talk about and I'll ask you the questions. That, no, that's not going to work. 
let's get to scheduling the interview. Now, as I record this, it's 2019, it's July, and nobody has time to play email tag. And there are so many tools. I use Acuity Scheduling. That's my favorite. Now, why is it my favorite? Because it ties in with Zoom. It ties in with a whole bunch of stuff. And for me, it ties in with my FreshBooks account. So I use Acuity Scheduling for free interview scheduling, but I also use it for my consulting. So it will actually charge people for my one-on-one consulting. So I love it for that. There's also Calendly and I'll have a links again out in the resources area. If you go to schoolofpodcasting.com slash interviews and both those have a free version and they also have a paid version. And they also, again, both of them integrate with zoom.us. We'll talk about that later. And People pull out their hair trying to find times when their schedules align. Well, how about Tuesday? No, Tuesday doesn't work. What about Thursday? I don't know. Well, when they, well, and then you also forget about time zones, which can really be uh, just a mind, I don't know, melter. And the other thing that's great about these scheduling tools is they send reminders about the appointment to the people. And so with my Acuity account, there's again a bit of a pre-interview. So you can actually set up a form so that when somebody signs up to be on your show, you could say, what value? I don't know if I'd say it that bluntly, but what value are you bringing? Or what are the main topics that you would talk about that are going to fit my audience? Things like that. And one piece of information that I want, not because I'm going to call you in the middle of the night and go, dude, you up, is your phone number. This way, if you don't show up, and this is a problem with interviews, And I will raise my hand right now and say, I have in the past, and I've apologized profusely, I have just forgotten about an interview. And I'll go back to my desk and it's like, hey, where are you at? And I see, you know, so don't do that. I haven't done that in a while, but in the early days, I was like, oh, crap. I was supposed to be on somebody's podcast. So if somebody had my phone number, then they could say, call me and say, Hey Dave, you come and I'm like, ah, I'm at Walmart. Sorry. So if somebody doesn't show up, you can call them. So you don't waste your time sitting there for 20 minutes going, well, I hope to show up. You might also want to ask what service uh, you are using. So for example, if you're using Skype, you might want to ask for their Skype ID. You might want to ask for their website. You might ask for their bio, all sorts of that stuff. And this way, if this was scheduled way in advance, as the session gets closer, you don't have to dig through all those old emails to get that information. Because now, if you have the bio and the topics and all that stuff in this little form from Acuity, then it puts it on your calendar. So when it comes time to do the interview, you just go to the appointment and here's all your notes. It's kind of cool that way. And with Acuity scheduling, it integrates with Zoom.us. My favorite way to record an interview, though, is through a system called Squadcast. And what I love about Squadcast, and I don't know if it was me, but I want to take credit for it. I said, is there any way we can have a reusable room? So just like a generic interview room that's always available. And so what you can do is in Acuity, it it makes the appointment and it puts it on the guest calendar. And so if you have this specific link just for you, you can put that link in the meeting. And so when it sends them, which is automatic again, a, Hey, thank you so much for signing up to be interviewed. 
Just a reminder, it'll be next Wednesday at 9 p.m. Here's the link to the uh, interview room. Please use Chrome, all those things. We'll talk about setting guest expectations in just a second. But I love the fact that there's kind of a one link fits all. And then I believe I'll have to double check because I think Zach said they were going to do this. In the future, then, after the interview is over, you'll be able to rename it because otherwise you're just going to have a bunch of links of generic, 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 you know, generic interview names. I will add one thing here since we're talking about scheduling, even though these systems will automatically remind people that, hey, your your appointment is coming up in three days. I always send a personalized email the day of to say, hey, just a reminder, here's a link to the meeting. I'll see you tonight at whatever time whatever time zone, et cetera, et cetera. Looking forward to it because I'm here to tell you the days I don't do that are the days the guest doesn't show up. And we'll talk more about the technology, the scheduling tools a little bit later in the show. So we're talking about how to avoid having interviews that we want to scrap. So what you want to do is set your guest expectations. Here again, you are in control. We're not going to let some hack be on your show. Uh Uh-uh. Get that out of here. So with that in mind, this may be someone's first podcast, and they might be a little nervous about coming on your show because it's the fear of the unknown. So what you want to let them know is have some sort of headphones on. It doesn't have to be, you know, big $150 head. These could be earbuds, something so that it's not your sound coming out of their speakers because that creates this weird kind of echo. Also, if they could be in a quiet room instead of on a train, on a cell phone with bad reception, that would be great. You know, preferably something with carpet. Do not use the built-in microphone on your laptop. That is horrendous. Uh, Any kind of children or dogs or other things that you can't control, they should have some sort of management plan. It's time to, you know, lock up Zippy in the whatever, the downstairs room or something like that and let them know the format. So it's audio only. It's not video. You don't have to take a shower. You know, it's not live radio. So if you mess up, it's not a big deal. You want to say, especially that one, it's not live radio because some people think it is, and then they think they're going to mess up and they get all nervous and they wet their pants. And also if they can be hardwired, if they can be on something that's not Wi-Fi, not that Wi-Fi is bad, hardwire, it's better. You are directly connected to the internet. And so those are some things to let them know. You might want to remind them that, hey, if you have a bunch of kids, if you could tell them not to run 37 games of, you know, whatever they're streaming, the whatever the kids are streaming today, uh, can you hold off on that? Uh, keep that in mind and just set the guest expectations because by doing this, you are letting people know, look, this is a professional show. This is not just some rinky dink kind of podcast. I take things really, really serious about this. I've heard of people actually sending their guests like a a cheap $20 headphone, like a a headset, I guess you'd say. And mm, that gets a little pricey. And then there's a whole thing of having them ship it back and things like that. And this is where when you're planning your podcast, you want to see how many people are there to interview, because it may be that there are a ton of people to interview And if you don't match my standards for audio, Mr. I want to use the built-in microphone on my laptop, I'm just going to go with option number two. Again, you 
are in control and you set the guest expectations. So if you want to be taken seriously, this again is you're not being a total just like, hey, this is the way it's going to be or you're out of here. But you you need to let them know this is what you're getting into. This is not, you know, three guys, you know, doing it for chuckles in the basement. Then you want to start shaping the interview questions. And this is where some people say, should I give my guests the questions ahead of time? You get that question a lot. And for me, I prefer to let them know the topics we're talking about. And I guess the reason for this is, and I've only had this happen once, so I really shouldn't be that worried about it. But if you give someone the questions, you run the risk. And and I got to admit, it's a small risk, but somebody's going to come across. And instead of having a conversation with you, they're going to do a performance. So when you ask them, well, what got you into whatever fishing? And they go, hey, Dave, that's a great question. How I got into fishing was when I was a small child, I got and they're just reciting this memorized blah. And on one hand, they might sound good, but a lot of times they it sounds rehearsed. And so for, for, for me, I prefer to just give them the topics because you don't want your guest going in blind on what you're going to talk about, because then you rely on their ability to think off the top of their head. And if you're a new listener to the show, people that do improv for a living miss the mark on a regular basis. And if your guest is not an improv person, ew, that could get really ugly really quick. So if you give them the answers, you run the risk of getting a well-rehearsed void of emotion answer. Now, again, I kind of go, mm, that's a slight one. But for me, I'm worried about that. You could try it. And I've not, like I say, I think I've had it twice in 14 years. So I should probably kind of get over that. Now, if you're asking to go back into the cobwebs of their mind and say, what was your earliest childhood memory or what's your favorite book or, you know, something that they go, hmm, boy, you know, what's the last five podcasts you listened to? Uh, Am I allowed to cheat? Those kind of questions you want to give them ahead of time because they might want to think about it as opposed to just blurt out, well, I think the best book is blah, blah, blah. And then later they go, oh, you know what? I should have said this because really that's my favorite book or that's my favorite tool or whatever. But you kind of let them do it off the top of their head. So something that they really might want to think about, you can give them those questions ahead of time. So let's talk about the day of the interview. As I said, I always send out a reminder on the day of the interview because we're all human and we forget. And you might want to kind of go through a checklist. And I actually have checklists at the School of Podcasting. But here are some things you might want to remember. Again, email them. Number two, reboot your computer because you want a nice, fresh, you know, you want your RAM clear, things like that. You might want to remind your family or anyone sharing the internet to stay off of all the streaming services. You might want to stop items like Dropbox that work in the background that might chew up your bandwidth. Check the batteries in any recorder. Make a test recording. Make sure it works. Have each participant tap on their mic to ensure that the computer is listening to the right device. Press record the minute your guest connects. My, I can tell you, if I'm interviewing a friend and I'm like, what's up, buddy? I haven't seen you, blah, 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 blah. And we go right into the thing. I interview them. My like second question, I look down. I'm like, oh, crap. I forgot to press record because I'm kind of, we're just jumping in and we're talking. So press record the minute they connect. Try to have more than one recording. 
So for me, I might record on Squadcast, but I have a portable recorder that I can plug into my mixer or whatever I'm using, and I will use that as my backup. Again, we'll talk about tools in a bit. But if your guest happens to be a podcaster and they say, hey, do you want me to record this on my end? Always say yes. You cannot have too many recordings. And again, be sure to monitor, you know, listen with headphones or something basically on your side, because this will, again, avoid them having echoes on their side. You want everybody wearing headphones and there might be some sort of weird like buzzing going on or something that you didn't know was going on. And so you finally get the interview again. Make sure they know who they are talking to. You know, hey, my audience is kind of like this and that whole nine yards. And so they know for me, I will actually ask if somebody does this for me, I'm like, okay, who's your audience? Who am I talking to? And then sometimes I will say, do you want the short, medium or long answer? Like, how long is the interview? I don't know. Because if they say, oh, it's, you know, 10 minutes long and my first answer was eight minutes, that's a problem. And so, you know, know who you're talking to so they know that. And again, know who you're talking to. So know who your guest is and then let them know who they're talking to, the audience. And then identify the why. And when you introduce people, I've heard people that they'll just read the bio. And I'm like, okay, I get that. You know, okay, here's this person. He graduated from Harvard and blah, 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 blah. I get much more excited when I hear somebody say, man, wait till you hear who's on the show because I read this thing or I saw them do this and this is why I brought them on. I am more excited about you. Why are you happy they're on? Because I trust you. You're the guest. You're the host. And when you say, I brought them on because I met them at so-and-so and they're awesome and wait till you hear what they have to say. And then also they need to know why they're coming on. So once I had Kathy Heller, who has multiple topics on this show, she could talk about being a musician. She could talk about being a working mom. She could talk about having a successful business, marketing. Anyway, I brought her on and I said, look, you've got a great story about how making the content your audience wants propelled you to success. And while there are many stories we could have had from her life, I told her, this is why you're on the show. And so that is something they need to know. This is why I brought you on. So instead of asking, how long have you been a nutritionist? And they answer, uh, since 1998. A better question would be, when did you know you wanted to be a nutritionist? Because that's going to be a story. And you want to get them to stories. If you've ever heard of the hero's journey, I'll use the example of Star Wars. You have a reluctant hero who finds a mentor who isn't sure he's going to do it. He gets trained. They have some sort of hump to get over. And just about the time, you're not sure if they're going to make it or not. Oh my gosh, are they going to do it? Oh, they actually get over it. And then they walk with you. You're looking for that tension of like, oh, are they going to make it or not? Is there something like that? Look for that story to bring it out. And the question I don't ever want to hear come out of your lips is tell me a little bit about yourself. I hate that question. When I hear that, I'm just like, ugh. now in the past, I have been guilty of this. Why? Because I hadn't done my homework. I didn't do the work. And it's like, so 
for my audience. And in my head, I'm going, and me, because I didn't do my homework. Tell us a little bit about yourself. Now realize if you ask me that question, I can say, well, I was born and raised in Akron, Ohio. I was a paper boy. I grew up uh, bagging groceries. Okay. Who cares? But if you said, when did you know you wanted to be a podcaster? When did you know podcasting was for you? That's a story. Because again, you know why you brought them on. Let's jump right to the meat and potatoes. So we're looking for stories. We're looking for insights. If you're interviewing somebody who is a master diabetic chef, you could say, what are the common myths of of being a diabetic chef? Or you could say, what do you think leads people in your industry to fail? And they could say, well, I think somebody who does that. Now it's, it's educational. You know, what is the best or worst thing you've seen in blah, blah, blah. Now you're asking for their opinion and that's going to lead to a story. Why do you think it's the worst? Why do you think it's the best? You could even have a question that you ask to everyone. Rob Walsh, many moons ago, did a podcast called Podcast 411. It was one of the first podcasts to ever interview people. And his first question was always, what was your first computer? Harry Duran of Podcast Junkies He's always asked people, what is something you changed your mind about? That's a really cool question. And you could come up with a fun, uh, any kind of the fun kind of we kind of questions. Those you usually put at the end to kind of lighten things up, because in theory, you probably just talked about something kind of heavy. And don't forget to check their Twitter, their Facebook and Instagram, because there may be stories going on there that you might say, "Ooh, I want to ask them about that, because I saw on Facebook where you were doing this thing. I saw in your Instagram story where you were doing this and that, because that just happened may not be in other interviews. It may not be it's fresh off the presses and now you can get them to talk about it on your show. The other thing this does is when you're, you bring them on and instead of asking them, Hey, what did you have for breakfast? So you can get a sound level. You could say, Hey, I just saw you were skiing out in Aspen. How'd that go? And they're going to be like, wow, this guy's done his research. She really took some time to look into what I do. And then they might also say, wow, are they stalking me? But nonetheless, it's going to show you've done more than everybody else has. And our good friends at NPR actually have a formula. It's I mean, it's literally a straight up formula. And that is I'm doing a story about X. And it is interesting because of why I'm doing a story about blank. And what is interesting about it is blank. And our good friends at NPR say, this is really important to say this out loud to a person. So it might be, I'm interviewing Tim Romero because he was making $8,000 doing podcasting and walked away from it. That might people go, wait, what? I want to hear that story. Why would you walk away from $8,000 a month? Well, He'll be coming up in the future, but that is their little, if it does this, it's really, it's a formula. And then you basically, you shape your story to that tool. Somebody does uh, something because of blank, their motivation, but blank. So that's actually Tim's story. Somebody, you know, Tim started podcasting about startup companies in Japan, but blah, what happened? So for me, an example of this uh, that's not great is I want to do an episode about artists who work so hard on their art because they often don't understand why. Like, why do I work so hard on my art? 
A better one might be, I'm doing an episode about beautiful art, and it's interesting because it often comes from the most painful moments in the artist's life. This is actually from a class done by Alex Bloomberg on Skillshare. So I've borrowed that example. I want to make sure I give credit here. Uh, it's so again, it's I'm doing a story about X and what is interesting about it is why, because if you can't answer why it's interesting, don't do it. Another thing you'll notice about NPR stories is they'll have multiple holy cow moments. They'd be like, okay, well, it was Jim from Arkansas and he was doing this, but then this happened and then you're not going to believe it, but this happened. And then holy cow, you're not going to believe this, but blah. And the reason this is interesting to every single person walking on the face of the earth is blank. That's actually a formula straight up from NPR. And if you only have a story that is, hey, I was interviewing somebody and it's not going to believe it, but they did this. If there's only one, you're not going to believe this. They're like, nope, not good enough. We need multiple like, and then this happened and oh my gosh, and this happened. That's their criteria for a story. Now, when you get a good story, this is key. Mark Marin, Howard Stern, Terry Gross, they've all said this. The key when you ask a question is to shut up. And by that, I mean, shut up. Also, a best question is not multiple choice. I hear people do this all the time and I'm screaming at my dashboard. They'll ask a great question. They'll say, how did you feel when great question? And then they'll go, were you happy? Were you, were you surprised? Were you sad? No, because they're going to go, well, yeah, I was kind of sad. But if you just say, how did you feel when blank? They've got to figure out their answer and give them time to answer. We have to be comfortable with silence because here's the thing. The more they have to think about it, the better the answer is going to be. And you can always trim out that silence. Now, that is easier said than done. I've already told you about Netflix. If you haven't seen it, David Letterman's and my next guest needs no uh, introduction. Check out the interview with Ellen DeGeneres. He shut up. And she really went into her stepfather, apparently molested her, and Dave just shut up. And eventually she spit that story out. So when you ask a question and somebody's saying something and you're smiling and you're thinking this is gold, shut up and just listen. The key to a great interview is listening. How I do my interviews is I will come up again. I will ask, why am I bringing this person on? Where do I want the conversation to go? And I will write down a few questions to get things going right where I want to go. And I will put that to the left of me. And then I will have a paper in front of me. Yes, an actual piece of paper with a pen that has no clicker on it in front of me so that as I'm listening to the answer, I will write down often just one word. Somebody will say something like, well, I did this and I decided to try a couple of strategies and see what would happen. And I did da, 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 And I, I just wrote down the word strategies. And then once they got done answering that question, I said, great, what were the strategies? So it's those things that I catch. So that way I can write down a single word. It's going to spur me as to what the question I want to ask is. And then I go back to listening because the key is listening. Interviews are hard. They are hard because you're listening to the answer while you're trying to figure out, do I want to ask a follow-up question? And there's a whole bunch of stuff going on in your head. So that's why I have my questions on the left. And then I have my blank piece of paper in front of me. 
And I might even let them know when I set up the interview and I'm saying things like, hey, it's not live. Don't worry about it. If you want to start over again, it's not a big deal. I might also say, and when I ask a question or when you finish answering a question, I might pause for a second to come up with my next question. That doesn't mean I'm looking for you to continue with the answer. So depending on the scenario there, you know, you can kind of let them know that, hey, it might take me a second to come up with a question. So keep that in mind. But silence and listening is huge. All right, let's talk a little gear. If I'm recording interviews in person, we're going to have three different versions. If you're somebody who is like, look, this has to be small. For that, I say buy a Zoom H1. And there's a, it's a weird name. It's a microphone called a Giant Squid Audio. That's the name of the company. And they have these little clip-on lavaliers. And by the time you buy the clip-on lavalier microphones and the Zoom H1, you're out about $200. Another smaller option is the Rode SC6-L mobile interview kit. And it's an interface that goes into your smartphone. I believe this is iOS only. Sorry, Android people. And you have two lavaliers. This enables you to record onto your phone. So you don't have to carry around a Zoom recorder. And you can actually adjust the volume levels. You can have things in separate tracks. Again, it's $200. Kind of six one way, half a dozen the other. So maybe if you're on iOS, you buy the Zoom tool. If you're on an Android, you go Zoom H1. The nice thing about the Zoom H1 is it's also got built-in microphones. So I wouldn't use those. But in a pinch, they do come in handy. Now, a better kind of option with slightly bigger device is if you upgrade to a Zoom H6, you can record out of the box four people at a time and with an attachment up to six people. That'd be a little crazy, six people at one time. It's a very, very versatile unit and you can record from just about any source. It has four built-in XLR inputs. That's the big round ones with the three little pins in it. And that just basically means no adapters for plugging in microphones and you can record onto a stereo track, or you can have each person have their own track. It runs around $400. It's not cheap. And it has a little brother, the Zoom H5, which records two people out of the box and up to four, where the H6 is four out of the box and records up to six. Uh, The H5 is $280. So it's $120 cheaper. So if you see yourself only recording you and a guest at one time, the H5 might be the better way to go. And like I say, if you buy this attachment, you can actually record up to four people with that one. I personally like the H6. It's a really handy tool. So that's, again, slightly takes up a little more room. Now you've got mic cables. You don't have lavalier mics, things like that. And you're going to need some stands and things like that. We'll talk about that here in a second. Now, the the bigger device, and it makes things super easy, is, you know, I was going to mention this, the Rode Rodecaster Pro can have up to four microphones in addition to a USB, in addition to a Bluetooth and a phone connected. It has a built-in headphone amplifier for those four microphones and built-in play kind of jingle players. And talking on the phone is super easy. If you're going to be interviewing people who are, shall we just say, not that technical, and they might say, huh, when you ask them if they use Skype, this might be the box for you. It's super flexible. It's easy to use. And unfortunately, also the most expensive, it clocks in around 600 bucks. And now there are going to be less cables because you don't have all this headphone stuff. 
and it's going to be a lot less headaches. And there are also, if this is something you're traveling, there are people that make cases for this that make it kind of easy to carry around. Now for microphones on the road, what kind of microphones do I need if I'm not using the clip-on lavaliers? If you're going to be traveling, there are two microphones I recommend. One is the Shure SM58. This thing is almost indestructible. I played in bands for almost 15, 20 years, and I've seen these things take a licking and keep on ticking. And in some cases, I actually mean a licking. It's a long story. Uh, The other one is the Samson Q2U, and it is around $60. Now, the Shure SM58 is around $99. uh, And if it's just you and a guest, you might consider... Rode actually makes an omnidirectional interview microphone. I call it the Bob Barker. It's a big, long microphone, and you just point it at whoever is talking. That's another option. And I'm surprised. I've seen a couple people that have used that, and it really comes out decent. Now, if you're interviewing people in places where it's not that quiet, that's just something you're going to have to deal with, and you can do the best to get it can. But if I'm in a a really loud place, I would just say, Hey, I'm interviewing so-and-so on the floor here of social media marketing world. And we're talking with so-and-so. And some people think that makes, you know, they like it because there's ambiance. Now, the other thing, you might need some microphone stands. And the reason for that is if you let people hold the microphone, in some cases, you'll get handling noise. But the other thing is when they get comfortable, your guests, they kind of lean back and they just drop their hands. And all of a sudden, their microphone is way too far away and you lose quality in your audio recording. So. What I use is I also don't use those little desktop stands that are just a straight stick because it requires people to bend over to talk into the microphone. I actually use a microphone stand that's made for a bass drum. It won't tip over and it's long enough. It kind of has like this extra arm so that people don't have to bend over to talk into the microphone. And those are around $20. And if there was only one downside of those microphone stands, they're heavy. Now, the great thing is if you're on the road and you're worried about getting mugged, just hit somebody with this microphone stand and uh, you will take them out. Now, since we're talking about audio quality, we want to talk about plosives. And if you're not sure what plosives are, put your hand in front of your mouth and say happy peanut butter and you'll feel all this air come out of your mouth. And we call them pops. We call them about, you know, popping peas and things like that. One way to avoid this is through a pop filter, which is just this screen that goes between you and the microphone. I like the Nady SSPF-3. It's a shock mount, which means it kind of absorbs any kind of vibrations that might have uh, from like putting a stand on a desk. And it's also a pop filter and it fits both the Shure SM58 and the Samson Q2U or the Audio-Technica ATR2100. So that's how you avoid plosives. And the other thing you want to do is get some mic technique. Right now, as I talk to you, I am looking at 12 o'clock and my microphone is about at 10. I point it at the corner of my mouth and I'm kind of talking across it. So that's how you can also avoid plosives. So that's recording on the road. What about if you're going to be recording interviews in the same place? In other words, in your studio, one of the best interfaces to, if you're going to connect this to your computer, is the Focusrite 2i2. That allows you to plug you and a guest into this little device and it goes right into your computer and you can run it out and have that go into a portable recorder. So you've got your two recordings again. 
And for me, again, one of my favorite portable recorders is the Zoom H6. It can be really quite handy as a backup. Now, if you go, Dave, that's a little out of my budget, go with a Zoom H1 because that's a, it's kind of cool because it's about the size of a Snickers bar and it's around a hundred dollars, maybe 120. Again, not super cheap, I realize, but you will thank me when your software eats your interview and you look over and you have that recording. So that would be recording if you're in the same place. Now we talked about going on the road in person. What if you can't go on the road, but your guests are everywhere all over the world? There are all sorts of options for recording people over the internet. My favorite, my ultimate favorite is Squadcast. Why? Because I know those guys. I know them when they were back in beta. And I said, here's the deal. Here's how you win this fight. Don't write something that sucks. Make it something that I can count on. Make it so that when I hit record, I don't have to go, oh, I hope this works. Because the minute I lose faith in your software, I'm done. And so it's an easy way to go. It's $20 a month. And the only restriction is your your guest has to use a Chrome browser. But each person is recorded locally. So even if the internet has a hiccup, you know, and you have somebody that has that weird Bugs Bunny on poison thing going on where they're like, well, you would actually get all of that conversation because the local side of the conversation where they are goes right to their computer. Now, another one, and some people are going to go, what is Skype? And there are a lot of people that hate Skype. And I feel if you have a decent internet connection, you should be okay. I've used it for years. It's free to contact other Skype users. It has a built-in recorder that's meh. I use, if I'm going to use Skype, I use a free Skype recorder. Links in the show notes at schoolofpodcasting.com slash interviews for Windows. If you're a Mac, you can buy a great piece of software called Ecamm Call Recorder. That's a great product. It's from your computer. So you could be on the computer and actually call somebody's phone. So if you have somebody that's like, I don't know anything about any of this stuff. Can you just call me? And you go, mm, but I don't have the money for a Rodecaster Pro. You can still make phone calls from your computer. You're on your microphone. Your guest is on the phone. And so you could do that. Whenever possible, though, avoid using the phone. Why? It sounds like the phone. And so for me, it's always the last resort. If somebody's like, well, if I could do this or do that, and it's like, uh, what some people have done with Skype is because while not everybody has a microphone and they're not that technical, most people, if they have a smartphone, know how to install an app. And so what you can do is because all you need to set up a Skype account is another email. So you could set up another free Gmail account or whatever you're doing and set up a second Skype. And what you can do then is if your guest is technical enough, say, hey, do you know how to install an app? And they're like, yeah, okay. I want you to install Skype. And because you have the login name and password, you can walk them into logging into your second Skype account. Then tell them to be on Wi-Fi. So we don't want to chew up their data plan. Put them on Wi-Fi and then call from your Skype account. We'll call that Skype 1. You call Skype 2. Now, the phone they're using, the phone, the microphone they're using is in their phone. They're on Wi-Fi, and you will be surprised how that sounds great. So if you have somebody that's like, "Mm, can you just call me? 
you might want to say, hey, do you know how to install an app and then set up a second Skype account? You'll be amazed. I remember once, speaking of Scott Johnson, I was interviewing him once. He does the Computer Tutor Florida show over at computertutorflorida.com. I think it's just called the Computer Tutor, uh, but his website is Computer Tutor Florida. And he also does What Was That Like? And I was interviewing Scott and he lives in Florida and there's like a monsoon coming or something like that. And he turned off almost all the technology, but he called back on Skype on Wi-Fi. And I'm like, I thought you said you were going to get on your phone. He goes, I'm on my phone. And I was like, wow. Now, another one we mentioned earlier, Zoom. Zoom Zoom.us will produce, I'm going to say, okay recordings. And by that, I mean, they're listenable, but they don't use the best settings for recording. And what I do if I'm doing something with Zoom is I will, again, record my conversation with them in a wave format. That's the best way you can record. There's no compression. It's kind of like what you hear is what you get. Zoom, for lack of a better phrase, doesn't put as much paint on their brush as other software. So the recording isn't horrible. It's just not as good as everybody else. So I use Zoom for connecting with groups of students at the School of Podcasting. And the other thing, because I see this all the time with Zoom, there's a bit of a learning curve to get people to connect. It kind of drives me nuts. They have a big picture of a microphone, but that's if you want to mute your microphone and the button you need to click on to actually connect your microphone and your headphones is this little up pointing arrow. And for those of you that remember the game operation, it's like trying to take out a spleen. You're like, ah, and so I'm constantly having to take pictures and screenshots and go, no, click here. That's what you want to do. Now, once it's connected, it's great, but there's definitely a learning curve. Now, some tools that I do not recommend because I've just heard too many people that I actually go, hmm, and that is Zencaster. There's a, a weird drift problem with Zencaster, off and on. Ringer, again, a bit of a problem, off and on. And Clean Feed. Clean Feed, I've used twice, and twice I've had a problem with Clean Feed. And there are many others out there. I could spend another hour just talking about those. But for me, it's either Skype or Squadcast, and I love Squadcast the best. In talking about the interview, let's talk about controlling the interview a little bit. If you're worried about somebody doing the same old, same old story again that they've shared, what you can do is use that story in your introduction. That way they can't say it because, well, you beat them to the punch. Another thing you can do is if you have somebody that keeps going down rabbit holes, you could say something. Let's say your show is about fishing, and for whatever reason, they're talking about bowling. You could simply say, getting back to fishing, what's your favorite lure? That's just an ever so polite way of saying, hey, we're out of the weeds. Uh, If you have somebody that just keeps going out, you can actually, a strategy I've heard of of people going, hey, I hate to interrupt, but if I don't ask you this now, I'm going to forget about it and just take them back. The other thing you have to realize, again, you're in control. And luckily, I've never had to do this. But what if you have somebody who doesn't answer your questions? We talked about this. You know, the pre-interview went fine. You figured out they're going to fit. Everything seems good. But now every time you ask them a question, they're like, well, you'd have to buy the product to see that, whether it's a book or a course or whatever. They're like, well, yeah, it's in the course. Well, yeah, it's in the book. It's in, and you're like, that's no value to you. You might want to say, you might want to say, okay, uh, let's say the person's name is Tim. Okay, Tim, this is going to be edit point one. I realize that you don't want to give away your best information, but 
all this stuff about any question I ask that you say it's in the book, I'm just going to cut it out. I'm here to have you share information to get people to see that your information is good. And I can't use this stuff when you say it's in the book. And if they say, well, look, I'm not giving it away, then stop the interview. And that's awkward and it's no fun. But you do have to kind of get your big boy pants on, your big girl pants on and say, yeah, that's not going to fly. And I've, I've heard Jordan Harbinger talk about this, where if somebody's just for whatever reason, you told them why they're here, you told them what you're going to talk about, and they've decided to just talk about something different. Again, if you feel yourself going, oh, what am I going to do with this in the interview? It's your responsibility to steer that back. And if they don't let you steer it back, then you've got to say, look, I'm not sure this is going to fit with my audience. I don't want to waste your time. And so when you have to have conversations that are awkward, try to explain things to people in a way that they're going to benefit. I don't want to waste your time. And my audience isn't really interested in this topic. You know, we brought you on to talk about this. So if we can stick to that, you'll have a much better response from my audience because, of course, you're the expert of your audience. My audience is going to want to hear you talk about so-and-so. And you might have somebody who's just lost their mind and you might have to say, hmm, I mean, Mark Marin has had Gallagher walk out of an interview because Gallagher just didn't want to talk about something. And Mark had said, no, we said we we're going to talk about that. Gallagher lost his mind and walked out of the interview. That may happen. And that's okay because it's up to you to make sure that they are bringing value to your audience. So let's talk about that. The interview is over. Something I do is at the end of the interview, I will say, is there anything that we just talked about that you would want removed? And that's kind of my audio acceptance form, I guess you could say, or they're, they're giving you the rights to use it. Now, granted, if somebody asks me later, hey, Dave, can you take something out? I will. I'm not here to, I'm not doing gotcha interviews where, haha, I got it on tape and I will gladly take something down or out or whatever it is. If somebody asked me, can I hear the interview before you release it? Maybe because I just asked you, is there anything you would want removed? So you've kind of already said the interview was fine. But the other thing you have to do here, is if you want your guest to share this, number one, you did the work. Now, what does that mean? That means your interview doesn't sound like everybody else's. So in theory, they should want to share this. But if I bring Pat Flynn, who has told his story about how he was an architect, he lost his job, he started an ebook, and now he's making millions of dollars a year. Pat is not going to share that with anybody in his audience because his audience has heard that story a million times. But now if you had somebody on and they didn't do the typical interview, they may want to share that with their audience, but you have to make it easy. At this point, they've already admitted that there's nothing that they want pulled from the interview. So you kind of think it's going well. And what you can do is say, hey, this will be out in three weeks or however long it's going to be. Again, setting the expectations of the guest and say, who is your social manager? Should I send this over to Bobby or Cheryl or does it go to you or who am I connecting with to get this shared? That way you're headed in the right direction. And if they say, oh yeah, just send it over to Cheryl, then you can say, great, can you give me Cheryl's email address and then make sure you have that right. And then when it comes time, say, uh, I'd be so happy if you could share this when it comes out and they'll probably say, sure. 
And so when it comes out, you could email Cheryl and go, hey, I just had so-and-so on the show. It was a great interview. I'm sure you're going to want to share this with his audience. Click here and then just give them every option. For me, I say give them any option. Now, the first one should be the easiest. And there's a great website called Click to Tweet. And you can basically put in the address of the episode on your website is what I send people to. Why do I send them to the episode on my website? Because it doesn't matter what phone they're on. It's not Android. It's not Apple. It's anybody can go to my website and there they can subscribe to the show. But you can put in the link directly to your website where the episode is. You can put in your Twitter handle and their Twitter handle if you want and basically say, here is the actual pre-written tweet. You can write that out. And all they have to do is click it. That's it. Click and tweet and it's done. So that's like the first option. You can also give them a link to any kind of images for Facebook or Twitter. So if they want to make up their own, it's there. You can give them a link to the MP3 file. If they want to send that out, you would send them a link to your episode on your website. Give them anything they want. You want to eliminate them saying, oh, really, I'm not on you know, Twitter, I'm on Instagram. Okay, well, make sure they have an image. And then you might want to label it like Instagram image, Twitter image, Facebook image, whatever it is. So again, you don't want them to think. Here it is. And you might even have a pre-written paragraph or a couple sentences. Make it easy so all they have to do is click the tweet, copy, paste, things like that. And then you give them the raw materials if they want to go and write something themselves. From what I've seen, A, most people don't share it. B, people definitely don't write their own thing. And C, they might click to tweet or something like that. But you have to make it easy for them to share. And if you've done an interview where it's not your typical interview that delivers value, something that their audience hasn't seen a million times, they might share it. But for me, I don't look for my guests to share the show. I'm always appreciative when they do. For me, I'm of the school that they've already done their job. They brought value to my audience, and that's all I was looking for. If they can share it, that's great. So don't get disgruntled when somebody doesn't share your show. I'm not counting on them to grow my audience. That's my job to grow my audience. And this is where you want to take advantage of any tools you have. If you're on Blueberry, they have tools to tweet out your episode and send things to different social sites automatically. Libsyn has that. That's a media host that allows you to tweet out and Facebook out and linked out and things like that. There's If This Then That. That's a website that you could say, look, every time I post on WordPress, automatically share it on Twitter. So get that automation tool working to get out there and get it onto your social channels. Those are the easy ones, remember. You want to make sure to go where your audience is. And if somebody brings up a topic, you could say, oh, interviews. Yeah, I actually did a whole podcast on that. If you go over to schoolofpodcasting.com slash interviews, it's everything I've ever known about interviewing. It's there and they'll go, oh, I'll have to check that out. So make it easy to share, get your automation in there. So your job's not done yet. Making the podcast was the easy part. Getting people to listen is a whole other story. The interview is over and it's time to edit your show. I've done an entire episode on editing, so I'm not going to spend a lot of time on this, but this is what I do with interviews. I listen to the question I asked 
And then I listen to the answer and stop and go, does that answer bring value to my audience? If it does not, I delete it. It's that simple. And then I go to the next question because sometimes I will ask a question and they will answer the, they will give me an answer, but they didn't answer the question. And if it doesn't bring value to my audience, it goes out. I've also done this. I will have somebody with a great story that was say 15 minutes into a 25 minute interview and it would stand alone. I will move that to the front because again, I want people to, I want them to get sucked in with the story to keep them there so that they want to listen to the rest of the interview. And I don't think that's shady. And now it's what would be shady is if I asked them a question and then later substituted a different answer or something. I'm not changing what they said. I'm just changing in the actual way that it did. Same thing with an introduction. When I introduce somebody and they hear it, in some cases, I'll just say, I'm going to do your introduction uh, later, or I might do a quick one there. And then later, just do a better introduction. I typically end all my introductions with welcome to the show. And so I will do that while they're on. And then later, if I want to redo the introduction, I will do it again and end with welcome to the show. And then I just start the interview where they go, thanks for having me. And you might say, well, how long should an interview be? Well, we're looking at two hours for this episode and you're still listening. If it's information that your audience needs, they will listen. I thought about splitting this into two parts, but for me, I want to be able that if somebody says, hey, Dave, I have a question about interviews, I can go simply go to schoolofpodcasting.com slash interviews, and all this information is in the School of Podcasting, plus additional worksheets, plus additional checklists and different tools and exercises to help you come up with the best questions. I want it all in one episode. To quote Valerie Geller, there is no such thing as too long, only too boring. But if you cut the fluff out of that interview, you can take an interview that's kind of like, and all of a sudden, any place where they went on a tangent, cut it out. Anything that you ask them, hey, have you ever done such and such? Well, normally, first of all, don't ask them yes or no questions. But if you ask them a yes or no question, they go, nope, never done it. Cut it out. Listen to the question. Listen to the answer. If it delivers value, it stays. If it doesn't, it doesn't. All right, we're going to flip the script. We're going to talk about being a guest. And you're like, holy cow, we're at the halfway mark now. You'll see where most of this applies. Remember my good friend Carlos that approached me out of the blue? Well, that's a great example of how not to approach people. And if you think about everything we want as a host, now just flip it around. So if I am looking to get somebody as a guest on my show, I want to prove that I read their book. I want to prove that I use their product, whatever it is. And then I'm going to connect the dots. You have to do the same thing when you want to be the guest. That means, yes, you're going to have to listen to their podcast. Now, here's the thing. You can do what we affectionately refer to as uh, spray and pray, or you can take the time to listen to somebody's podcast to make sure you're a good fit. People that want to be good guests that have an episode that have people sharing their content do the work. Here's an example of Howard Stern when he was going to be on Fresh Air with Terry Gross. And I said to my wife, I'm going on the Terry Gross show. I'm going to I'm going to go learn about her. 
And the first thing I learned was that you had written a book. Ira Glass. Uh, yeah, I heard your thing with Sedaris. I loved your interview with Sedaris. Barry Katz. And you know, millions and millions of people listen to you. And I know why, because I, I listen to you. So if you want to be a good guest, you need to get acquainted with that podcast. You need to listen. And I'm here to tell you, nobody does this. When somebody actually says something to me and it proves that they listen to my show, they st- I'm like, holy cow. In the same way that Jordan, you know, the authors are going, oh, wow, you actually read the book. When somebody goes, hey, Dave, on episode number 669, when you're talking to so-and-so, I'm like, oh, my gosh, they actually listened. And they actually say what show they listen to. Hey, Dave, on the School of Podcasting, I heard this. On your Logical Weight Loss show, I heard this. On your podcast consultant, I heard you talk about this. People don't do that. And then connect the dots. Here's what I can bring. Here's what you talked about. Here's how, did you know that there's more about this? You Did you know this? Because in some cases, you might actually just give them more information that they may then want to relay to their audience. So you're going to make them look good. Well, they're not going to forget that. But here again, remember how I said, if you wanted to get an author or somebody on your show, if there's any place you can write a review of that product, whether it be Yelp, if it's a restaurant or Amazon, if it's a book or whatever, if you write them a review in Apple iTunes, even though they really don't do a whole lot for you, it's social proof, but you show them, you take a screenshot and say, this is me reviewing your podcast. It's the law of reciprocity. Nobody does that. Nobody listens to my show before they approach me. Nobody definitely reviews my show to prove that they listen and explain why they like it and how their content then connects. That makes you a heck yeah. You're like, wow, this person gets me. They know what I'm talking about. They already understand my audience. And it sounds like they have great information. That is something that nobody is doing. That's what booking agents are supposed to do. But I had a booking agent contact me with somebody who was this big shot smarty pants in the real estate business. And I'm like, I do a show about podcasting. How do you? And she didn't even have a podcast. So sometimes booking agents aren't doing that either. But simply be the the guest that you wish would approach you and then turn it around at the end of the interview. Say, how can I help share your show? I'm primarily my audience is on insert whatever Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, whatever you're doing. If you could send me some links to that or let me know again, you want to be the perfect guest. Why? Because they're going to tell their friends that person, man, when I had her on my show, she was awesome. When I had that guy on the show, he was amazing. And they're going to tell their friends because when you do interviews, whether you're the guest or the host, you are growing your network. When you do a solo show and you talk directly to your audience, you are increasing your influence, but interviews increase your network. So be the guest that you wish would be on your show by doing the homework, doing the work, and understanding who their audience is before they have to tell you that. Have your bio ready. Have a one sheet ready. The one sheet should explain who you are, what topics you're good at talking about, maybe links to where you've been interviewed before, 
Give them a headshot. You want to make it easy so they don't have to chase you down for a bio and a headshot and all that stuff. If you have it in a single sheet PDF, it makes it so easy to see who you are and get exactly what you're about in a single, in a one or two page. Do not give me a five page PDF. I don't want to read a book about you. I just need to know if you fit. And that's where if you approach them and say, hey, this is how I fit, go that route. And again, sometimes if you're a little hesitant to ask, can I be on your show? Just give them the information. Hey, did you know so-and-so? Blah, blah, blah. And oh, by the way, I've done this in the past and I really like your show. If you provide value and you kind of hint that I know more about this if you want it uh, and just go that route, they're probably going to go, would you be interested in coming on the show? Why? Because I just said there are people that their criteria to being on their show is a pulse. And you just proved not only do you have a pulse, but you can bring value to their audience. So always explain things. Don't, when you approach somebody, when I just hear, Hey, like Carlos, I've done this. Look at me. I'm standing next to Tony Robbins. I've done this. I've done this. I've done that. What value are you going to bring to my audience? When you tell them that how their audience is going to benefit, not like, look how great I am. Look how I can help your audience. Again, serve first, they're going to go, wow, this person is going to be a great guest. It's not the size of the resume. It's the size of the value that you bring. So being a good guest is not a whole lot different than being a good host. It's doing the work, figuring out how you fit, connecting the dots together, and explaining how you're going to deliver value. And then explaining to them when you approach them, when if you do ask for an interview, I would love to be a guest on your show and talk more about this subject, and then I'd be happy to share the episode on my social. When you throw that in there, why? Because that's what all podcast hosts want. I'm looking for a great guest who's willing to share. So if you actually ask for the interview, I would love to come on your show and share it with my audience. Throw that in there because some people are like, oh my gosh, Where did this guest come from? It's the best guest ever. So do that. Stand out. Be the best guest ever. Be organized. Know what you're going to talk about and then share it. And then when you share it, be sure to copy them on that so that they see that you're sharing it. So you're proving again, hey, I did what I said because now they know you. They like you because you delivered value to your audience. And now they trust you because you did what you said you were going to do. Well, let's let's kind of wrap this up a little bit, but I've got more. If you want to go deeper, I've got some resources for you. But first of all, interviews, they look easy. You just show up and you ask questions, right? And no, good interviews require work. They require discipline and they require practice. The other thing they take is time to get good at it. Ira Glass, who does This American Life, says it took him a long time to really get good at this. Like, and, and in fact, like the whole first 10 years I was, I was doing radio, I was not that good. And in fact, the whole drama of my 20s was, was getting from a point, and I've talked about this a lot in public, like I give uh, speeches, you know, like I go around to, to public radio stations and give, and give talks. I just did one last night. And like one of the things that's always like a surefire part of it is to just play stuff from like year, <laughs> from year <laughs> seven or eight of when I was doing this. Cause, cause it's, I'm terrible. Good for you. I'm, so there you go. A guy who is now known as one of the greatest storytellers 
for years says, yeah, my early stuff wasn't that great. So don't feel bad, but you got to start someplace. And it starts with knowing your audience, doing the work, get to the stories, get to the education, get to the entertainment, whatever you're doing, know why you're having somebody on your show and realize that introduction, a bad setup can kill an interview because if you don't get your audience excited about the guest, well, why are they going to stick around? The most important part of interviewing again is listening. And if you're just waiting for your guest to shut up so you can ask the next question, you're probably missing an opportunity for a great follow-up question. Here's an example of a great follow-up question from Terry Gross on Fresh Air interviewing Howard Stern. I have to tune it out sometimes because I'm telling you, I don't know if this is true of you, Terry, but I have a radio show going on in my head all the time. All the time. I can, I can, I just, I hear it all the time and I just quickly write it down and then I go and do it on the air. So what's going through your mind right now? That proves that Terry is listening and what a great follow-up question because who doesn't want to get inside the head of Howard Stern? Be the best host and be the best guest and make it easy for everyone that you work with and realize you don't just have to be an interview show or I just have to be a solo show. You can do both. Now, if you want to dig in deeper, because this is everything I know, there are some other people that know other things. First things first, I do have more information on interviewing at the School of Podcasting, but Jeff Brown, who's been on this show, he's got probably decades. Well, I know he has at least decades in radio. He's been on the program. He does the podcast Read to Lead. So if you want to talk about somebody who knows how to interview authors, that's Jeff Brown. Mark Deal, of course, is one of the guys that heads up one of the largest podcast meetup groups in Atlanta. He's been on this show. They work together to create the Podcast Guest Academy. So if you're looking to really be a great guest, they go super deep into this topic. I've already mentioned it before. David Hooper has a great book called Big Podcast that has a lot of great tips on how to do interviews and how to be interviewed. My buddy Eric K. Johnson has Podcast Talent Coach, and this is another guy with decades in radio and has really great tips on how to conduct interviews. And you'll notice I didn't mention much about a one sheet because I've never really made one and I probably should, but my buddy Jessica Rhodes over at Interview Connections, that is a booking agency. She has a an example of a one sheet as well as a tutorial on what should be in that. So I'll have links to all of that out at schoolofpodcasting.com slash interviews. And if you know anybody that is doing interviews that you feel they might want to listen to this episode, uh, again, just send them to schoolofpodcasting.com slash interviews. I've also got the ability to download all the show notes as a PDF when you go out to schoolofpodcasting.com slash interviews. So when you're like, man, I need to listen to this again and take notes, you can get all the notes from this episode by going to schoolofpodcasting.com slash interviews. I thank you in advance for sharing this with all your friends. And until next week, take care. Class is dismissed.